Hi, this is Nayetta, and you're listening to The Health Show. To The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. And you're listening to The Health Show. If I could say something to myself 10 years ago, you will be okay. Like you are going to be just fine. Hi, this is Nayetta. Hi, this is Carrie. And you're listening to The Help Show. So today we have Zachary Woolman, known as Kid Yamaka, is an American boxer in the welcomeweight division, who is an amateur and is now a professional. Zach was a latecomer to the sport. He went from juvenile delinquency to becoming the Golden Gloves champion in his hometown of Los Angeles. He is trained by International Boxing Hall of Fame, Freddie Roach, with whom he started training in 2008, and trainer Eric Brown. His record as of December 2017 was 13-2-2. Two two. Woo woo! Hi everybody. <laughs> so Zach, it's good to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Oh man, I'm so I'm just so excited. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. First of all, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We call that the TTT here at the Help Show. We're always beyond grateful um, mm. that people come and you know help us spread awareness and about mental health. Mm. And so you being here today, um, I'm excited. You excited, Carrie? Very excited. We excited. This is gonna be fun. <laughs> very much so. So um, if you guys don't know, um, Zach is a professional boxer. He has been, I read you're an actor and you're um, journalist. And a jerk. Man, he got yeah. brains and beauty. I'll take it. I'll take the wins wherever I can get them. And some mad boxing skills. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Like, put your hands up. <laughs> yeah, I was able to use boxing as my vehicle to connect with the world. Yeah. Wow. And, and that was actually a really hard realization for me. Uh-huh. Right? Where I was a 23-year-old turning pro, I had blinders on of I have to be a world champion. And it and then through this exploration of fighting and winning and, and, and losing, I've lost fights and being humbled beyond that we'll talk we'll talk more about that, but I realized, oh my God, I'm this wonderful connector. Yeah. And boxing is just my vehicle. Well, I really like that you're saying that. It's like this this vehicle that takes us on a journey. So if you would, tell us about your background and how you actually got into boxing. Sure. So I, I grew, you know, it's unfortunate that my my early background, and, and it it started coming to light this, this past weekend, I was in New York, um, my early, early background, I really don't remember. Oh. Uh, I can't, I can tell you some, some hard memories I have about being a kid. I had a stepfather who passed away, I think it was a year ago, and I, I spoke at his funeral and I said, without this man, I would not be a fighter. I thank him for that. Yeah. Um, and he, he had his own pains growing up, I would imagine, and I, I took the brunt of them. Um, and I don't remember. I, re I remember a, a, a severity of punishments, mm -hmm. right? And this how old were you, Adrian? Do you know? He was in my life. My dad, my dad, my dad was a every other weekend dad who I just didn't, every time I was with him, I had fun. 
uh, we he he always had a Mickey's. He th drove a 350Z, mm -hmm. like a 1990 350Z. Okay. And my biological father's gonna tell you, and I would see him every other weekend. And he would have a Mickey's 40 in his lap, mm. and a revolver, like a six shooter, in oh, the wow. in the glove compartment. Maybe in Texas that's a little more common, but in LA, <laughs> not so much. The liberal yeah. people, about, like, but I just didn't under—I didn't understand what my father was doing. I would see him every other weekend, and then at some point, I believe at about eight or nine, uh, I was no longer allowed to see him. I didn't understand why, mm -hmm. but the truth is, is he, he had to go. He he went away. Okay. Uh, and uh, with that said, I I can tell you some some memories I do have because they're pivotal moments in my life, Okay. right? So I, I got into a major blowout with my, with my stepfather and he, he was six, five. He looks just, or he, he looked just like Ted Danson. Mm. Like people would come up to him and say, can I have your autograph? Mm. Oh, wow. Um, but he was really dark and, and he punished me in really uncomfortable ways. Oh. Uh, Imagine being in this room. I'm going to take all the items out and keep you in it for five hours. So at one point, I will start ramming my head against the wall. Oh, right? I remember this. Jeez. Right? I remember it's, it's cutting yeah. in its own form. Right? I never, I never did that version, but I ended up a professional boxer. Yes, self-harm. Right? I, I followed through on that. Right. Right, and um, not masochistic side of things. And there's, other, I think, there's other ways. Like, what do you think that that pain did for you? I think it let me feel something. Huh. Uh, so all that time of disconnection and rage, and, and he would take the hinges off my doors. Huh. Yeah. My privacy would just and 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 my boredom would be would be invaded. Yeah, and so it, like yeah, there was some physical stuff, but I I want to say that the the mental. I remember this man trying to punish me as a kid, and me being a tough kid saying, well, that's not going to hurt me. Right. And him grinning, going, yes, it is, and walking away. And and that grin, that vindictive grin, huh. like that hurt more than any hit, than any punch, oh, or any ring he put around my neck. Yeah. Um, like that's a specific memory I have wow. in these black spots. Mm -hmm. And my so my dad disconnected from my life. I, 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 didn't, I didn't understand what he did. He was a weekend dad living in an apartment in the valley. You know, he had kids from separate families. So I, I have six kids, like six brothers and sisters that are all half-blood from my, either my mom or my dad. And right. I'm growing up in this house with uh, two older sisters and they moved out as quick as they could, but I was the identified patient. Hmm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we know that term. Yes. Yes. We do. And I I was in special ed. Okay. I I truly believed that and I was in all this counseling all the time. <clears throat> and it's like I don't know how to articulate at ten years old, eleven years old, I imagine this man is actually having me sit on the steps for four hours at a time. And when I would sneeze, I would vision my soul. I would count 1,001, 1,002. My soul was going to the sky. When I say, mm. bless you, it sucks back up. That's how bored I am. Oh, wow. Right? right. And then when I say, bless you, my soul comes back from the universe. Like, right. that's, I, these are the memories that I have. Huh. Um, 
really unfortunate ones, quite painful. Uh, I I don't remember. I remember playing with toys like to, for till an absurd age almost. And my dad, my my biological father, now in my life, told me that I could give you two toys and you could play with them for eight hours. I was I was an artist. Like and I everyone I drew cartoons, comic books, right? Like anything that would just get me in a world outside of my own. So you really had to make something out of it. Exactly, game. right? And, that, and like you can give me a pen and pencil or pen and paper right now. I'll draw something really cool, probably. Oh, wow. And I haven't picked it up in a while. Uh, but with that said, I, I, we, we had an altercation, him and I, that the police had to come. And he left. And my mom, my mom uh, is an entrepreneur. Grew up in the valley, but we, she worked all the time. And my mom would say to this day, I apologize, I was not a good mother. Right. I left you with this man <laughs> and turned a blind eye to the things that was going on in the house. Yeah. And I had an opportunity to go to military school on the border of Texas and Mexico. Uh, I was 13 years old, 12 turning 13, somewhere around there. And I said, absolutely. Like, get me out of here. Just to be Even though he's gone, and I, I just, I'm like, I have these hoodlum friends. I'm always getting in trouble. I'm always getting in fights. Right. Um, I, I want something new. And I went to this military school, and it was such a bittersweet experience. It was JROTC, mm -hmm. um, and it was run by the Marines in Harlington, Texas, so right below Corpus yeah. Christi. Okay. Like, oof. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm terrified because... A lot of kids go there four years, graduate, go to West Point, go, yeah. go to Annapolis, right? Join the military and you join a private, right? It's, it's right. actually run by Marines. It's a Marine base. Right. I get there and I'm terrified and I, I lie and I say, oh, I'm a boxer from LA. And they go, oh, great, son, we have a boxing team. And I, go, I go, oh, no. Oh, <laughs> you said oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. Like, I don't know how to box. Right. So is that how you got into boxing? Mm -hmm. Telling the lie. Then what I a wonderful it lie. I made it. What a wonderful you lie. Faked it till you made it. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it. And the first day I got in the ring, I said I will do this professionally. Yeah. So absolute determination and resolution about what was going to happen. A couple things. Uh, I there was a little old sergeant major that had probably been through three world wars, <laughs> or two world wars in Vietnam, okay. and sergeant major is like the highest. I I don't know much about military politics, etc. Okay. So I went way in there, but. He, this man had seen quite a lot, and he knew I was lying. Wow. And, <laughs> he was on to you right off. But he didn't call me out in front of everybody. That's good. Right? He, like, somehow, I could fight. I couldn't box to save my life, but mm -hmm. I could take a shot, and I did no problem punching someone in the face. You had taken a lot of shots. So, yeah. So the question I have you, because I've um, he, I boxed and trained with, um, with Zach for just for a moment. Mm -hmm. Is that why the footwork is so important? You always say, you know, no twinkle feet, don't move your feet, structure. No, put your feet here. He, when you box with Zach, he, he's an amazing instructor. Yeah. And he's oh, like, it's well. not about the hit. Nayel, it's not about the hit. It's about your position. Look how you position yourself. You can't stay strong. Mm -hmm. Is this why? Is uh, so, boxing was the first thing. Well, that military school, a couple things happened. Huh. I was shown that if you make your bed with hospital corners, huh. 
I had a classrooms of eight. Okay. So I could raise my hand and get the help I needed. I also didn't have, I wasn't coming from this home where I was getting called all sorts of names and right. hurts. Right. Uh, and I got bruises on my arms, etc., on my okay. wrists. Okay. Uh, I I got a almost a three point grade average. Oh wow! Not in special ed, mm-hmm. right? And I these men, as long as I did what was required, <laughs> didn't take shots at me. So that's how they built their trust. Because that was my curiosity: is how do how did you trust them? What was the first time I ever saw just. A, a, a balance of relationship. Huh. Of, yes, military school is tough. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if you know it's going to be tough. Right. And if you do what you are asked of, you, you will get the response expected. Mm-hmm. She had already gone through hard at that, that point. Yeah, so it was a pleasure to say, okay, well, I make my bed and you don't beat on me. Like, or, or you don't yell at me or mm-hmm. hurt me. Right. Uh, if I excel in something, I'm rewarded for it. Right. Exactly. And and that little old man, that Sergeant Major, uh, Sergeant Major Robinson, hmm. um, validated and supported me in a in a in a moment of crisis because hmm. that's what boxing is, right? You are okay. stepping into the unknown. Right. I'm pushing on all my fear, fight or flight, right. and I finally I hit this guy right right in the face, <laughs> big guy. But I never forget this. Busted his nose, and this little old man said, "Good son." Huh. Right, and I went back to the corner, huh. and and off I went. Right, oh, I, I literally got another ring and said, right, "This will be my life." Huh. And this is be- this is two thousand three, so it's before YouTube or iPhones, and I don't know what boxing really looks like. I didn't right. grow up watching boxing or anything like that. So I go to the library that's on campus because it's a lockdown and get all these books on boxing history, huh. and I fall in love. Mm-hmm. And I've never loved anything before. Right, huh. I've never loved anything before. I mean, I can get into the EMDR therapy I went through, but and the umbilical cord issues. But <laughs> that being said, it's like I, it's I, real stuff, though, I, I got to use this imagination of mine and read about Joe Lewis uh, fighting Max Schmeling, and it, and it's basically this World War Two in a boxing match. Max Schmeling who's being, uh, you know. Um, supervised by Hitler, being used by Hitler as Nazi propaganda, mm-hmm. and Joe Lewis defending America. Mm-hmm. And when Joe Lewis, Joe Lewis lost his first fight to Max Schmeling, and Hitler went, oh my God, we have a German champion, right? And mm-hmm. Max Schmeling was not a Nazi, but mm-hmm. what are you doing in the day against yeah. Hitler? Yeah. Right, I'm gonna kill your family or else. Mm-hmm. And right. then Joe Lewis breaks, you can hear the rib break, in the radio of the second round of the championship heavyweight fight, and America is standing out on the street with candles as a sign of hope, mm-hmm. right? Like America just had won that World War Two, and like I get the chills telling that story, and I'm it's reading scary. about this yeah. stuff, right? And I'm falling in love with this sport and dictating these fights in my brain because I don't know what boxing looks like, right? 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 I've never actually seen a boxing match before, right? And yeah, I got to go and I, I won the Corpus Christi Golden Gloves that year and, and, I, and I lost fights that year and I mm-hmm. cried and I got beat up in sparring and huh. I got humbled and humiliated and, and, and I, I would go and we trained all day but the boxing, tra- boxing team there started with 50 and was filed down to about six people. That's how mm-hmm. hard it was. Oh, wow. Right, to make the team and, and I was a part of something. 
right? They had a community that belonged in that. That being said, when when training was over, I went and trained more, or I went and read more, right? Give me the secrets, right? (laughs) Like I heard this thing much later in life, uh, amateurs borrow, pros steal. Huh. Right? Yeah. And in a professional way, right? Right. Like, absolutely. you see, like, if someone hits you with a good shot, hit, hit them back with a good shot. Right or or do it to the next person. Right, yeah. learn, learn, right. learn. Right, yeah. uh, like you, when I won the Golden Gloves, I, I, I again in Los Angeles, the one you read about with Freddie Roach. I thought mm-hmm. I knew something about boxing. Mm-hmm. At year five as a professional, that's ten years of boxing experience. Right, I went. Oh my God, I know nothing. Oh wow. Right, that's the difference. And I I, I look at boxing as you know it's chess, not checkers, but. Uh, you you two and I could watch boxing and you can go, oh, that's one guy beating the snot out of another. Mm-hmm. And I could see poetry in motion. Mm-hmm. Right? We're watching two different things. Yeah, two people feeding off of one another. Right. Yeah. That's and also different. what boxing does is you you go in, yes, it takes a team. Right? right. You have a cut man. I've got a cut man that's won me fights and saved mm-hmm. me rounds. Right? I got scars right. all over my face. Right. Uh, and then you've got, a, you've got someone in front of you who's called the chief second, who's your coach. Who you actually trust with your life? Absolutely. So of course I took these coaches and made them my fathers. Yes. Right. They fulfilled them. Yeah, they fulfilled that that space. And I think that there was a healing that took place in that as well. Of course, and just like I knew, even when I got out of military school, wherever there's a boxing gym, I have a place to sleep. So that explains why you identify with the willow tree in Dallas. There you go. And it comes back. Yeah. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yes. Wait, wait. You were talking earlier about one of the things that you loved about Dallas. Yeah, that the willow tree and how it blooms, how you see it. You had not been able to see that in California. Uh huh. But here, you're able to see a tree die and then come back back to to life, life. and that was, in a sense, you. Right. um, Yeah. As you had experienced a sort of death and then came back to life. Mm-hmm. And, it, and this that, is, all of that numbing and that you had to like sort of go to this other place early on through your trauma. Uh-huh. And so there was a spirit that was getting killed there, but then it was brought back to life through these father figures. And interestingly enough, I, I had a, a I know you have these questions for me and yeah. I <laughs> I had a really interesting weekend in New York where I a friend of mine is doing fantastic and he's mm-hmm. running this beautiful lounge and restaurant mm-hmm. in high scale Tribeca. Yeah. And he comes from New York, but he moved out to LA. And we were, I found this out over the weekend. I got out of military school. Uh, we were best friends 15, 16, and 17, and 18. And I, I actually don't remember our mm-hmm. friendship. Interesting. You told me that. And that's the way trauma mm-hmm. works, though. That's what it does to us. And, mm-hmm. and what it. What had happened when I got back from military school is my father was, my stepfather was back in the home and I knew how to fight. And so that didn't work out well. Mm. (laughs) I bet it didn't work out well. Yeah, but I actually, I hit him back and then I looked at my mother and I said, my whole life. Yeah. And I took a backpack and I left. Yeah. Well, tell me this, as you kind of reflected over a lot of highs and lows in your career, what was one of your lowest points in your boxing career? In my boxing career, mm-hmm. okay, to be specific to that, I was 5-0, and oh, I was undefeated, and I had never lost a round. Uh, I thought I was 
God's gift to boxing. I had Freddie Roach as my trainer, right? And I, I was on the cover of magazines all over LA. You're on high. I yeah. Would, I, and the validation coming in, like, oh, I'm styling, and I'm no longer a student. Right. Can't tell you nothing. Nothing. You can't tell. <laughs> Freddie Roach, who's got thirty. 39 world champions. Yeah. Who's training me? I'm the first. He took me on as a as a kid from the my PO introduced me to Freddie Roach. Right. Right. Freddie Roach. And then, but you, I'm five and zero. Oh, I lost around. You can't tell me nothing. And I take a fight on two. And I am drinking and partying and huh. uh, and I made a deal with Freddie saying, as long as you are here, you are focused and staying off the street. And. Uh, there's a there's a part of my story that we'll circle back to where I I meet my father again at about fifteen, turning sixteen, and mm. that didn't go well. Um, yeah. Which brings me to my PO. Right. <laughs> I'm, I'm being juvie and my dad in prison. Right. Uh, with that said, I made a deal with Freddie, and and he took me on, and and at five and zero, oh, I broke our deal. I have a question. Sure. So you wrote a book. Um, I mean, you wrote an article. It's, it's called "I Kick My Drug Addiction Doing a Pro Boxing um, in Tijuana," mm -hmm. and so was this before Freddie Roach, or was no, this, this was after? after? Oh. Yeah, and I never. I took my first. So I thought I was a hot shot. I had the opportunity at 4-0 to travel the entire world okay. to be a sparring partner for a guy. Like, I never, I went to New York City. Oh, okay. Right? And I had a guy tell me, who's a former world champion, who's a big brother to me, uh, his name is Paul Malaji, he's a commentator now on Showtime, and I'm driving in this Mercedes, and, uh, and he's like, you know, he's from Bensonhurst, Brooklyn, he's uh -huh. as Italian as can be. And I'm looking at the skyline of New York, and I have this man telling me, Zach, there's a lot going on in your life right now, and you're getting rapid exposure. Mm -hmm. I want to tell you something. And this is a champion, right, who's, who's invested his money in mm -hmm. other things than boxing. Right. He's going to be okay no matter what. Uh, do you want to be great, or do you want to be famous? It's two different things. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at the New York skyline, and I'll never forget and in, in that moment, I was actually, I was quite confused mm -hmm. of which was right, mm -hmm. right? Do I want to be validated? Do you know the difference between the two? Right, it's true. Like, yeah. so I, and at 24, That's I, you. 24, yeah. You were a kid. He was yeah. living high. He was like, look, that, you can't like, tell me yeah, nothing. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the cover. <laughs> 18 million people see that LA Weekly cover. Like, and then, so, and then I'm doing a Pepsi commercial and dialing, yeah. and it's like, do, what's training camp? <laughs> And I take a fight at the Staples Center on two weeks' notice huh. and lose to a guy I had no business losing to. And and I was in shock. And Paulie, the guy who's the champion, was commenting that fight, threw his headphones off, uh -huh. and had tears in his eyes hmm. and said, stay off the internet. And the internet now with oh, Instagram yeah. and all these things happening, that's my validate. Like, that I'm more. undefeated. I'm this Jewish you know, kid mm -hmm. from the hood. Right. No, we're not from the hood. From from suburban hell, whatever okay. that you want to right. call it. Um, oh no! And <laughs> and I introduced new coping mechanisms into my system, right? Uh, 
painkillers, etc. Sure. It's almost like that's where depression started. Yeah. Because you started to self-medicate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But the, and also, I remember losing at the Staples Center, which is my hometown venue, and I there's these kid yarmulke t-shirts, Zach Wallman, right? Mm-hmm. And they're unisex. I was very. I had people around me that were very good with branding, and I I knew how to hustle. I knew how to sell myself. Right. I grew a fan base rapidly. Right. Uh, so I have all these people at the same time that just saw me lose. And I had this, this commitment I made to turn pro mm-hmm. to always get down from the stage mm-hmm. and go, go up to the, the friend of mine that brought his friend mm-hmm. and is now a new fan. Okay. And I had to walk back out there with my team jacket on mm-hmm. and my lumped up face. Mm-hmm. And I, I swear to you, when I lost, I thought everyone was going to vanish. I actually like I, I was like everyone's gone it's all over it's all over and I and I walked out and the people that truly have the angels that have come into my life were all right there mm-hmm. right we're all all the foster moms were all right there I said huh, you okay we love you that wasn't that wasn't you out there mm-hmm. and you know that and we know that mm-hmm. let's get you back on the horse and and I get back on the horse, and I'm I'm in the greatest shape, sober as can be, ready to go for my next fight. Okay. My opponent. So this is a month later, uh, six weeks later. I'm I'm in I'm in fight shape. I am like gunning to go. I am back, and I'm fighting at the Morongo Casino in, in Palm Desert, and my opponent pulls out at the weigh-in, and. My manager goes, okay, no big deal. We got you a fight two weeks from now, okay. right? And I'm ready to go. I need, I need to get this monkey off my back, right. this loss, mm-hmm. right? Two weeks, I okay, so great. I got to fight two weeks from now. I decided to spar that Monday. I wasn't supposed to spar at all, but I was so, uh, so enthusiastic about getting this next fight. I just, I needed to let my energy yeah. go. I got my jaw broken. Oh, wow. Right? Yeah. Huh. Sparring. Yeah. So I... I Lost, I get in the best shape of my life. Fight falls out. I have another fight two weeks later. I'm not supposed to spar, but I can't help myself. Sure. I break my jaw and I'm sparring for a week on a broken jaw. Oh, wow. And the way I found out was I, I got an infection because my wisdom tooth cracked. Oh. And the, there's an old school boxing test to see if your jaw is broken. Can you break a popsicle stick? And I broke a popsicle stick every time with tears streaming down my face. Oh, wow. But that infection. Showed it, it cracked all the way through my tooth. Oh. And they wired my mouth shut for six weeks. Oh, wow. And I didn't get back in the ring for another seven months. So, with you going through all this, was that the lowest part in your boxing career? Or what was the lowest? No, that wasn't the lowest part of my boxing boxing career. That sucked. And that introduced me to opiates. Okay. Like real opiates. Like the opiates that make the clouds bluer. Uh, <laughs> opiates, mm-hmm. right? Like, oh, this is the way everyone else feels. Huh. And I, I finally just got, I, now I get to be like everyone else. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, yeah, it's a little secret, but I'm not trying to get high. Right. I'm just trying to feel normal. Right. Huh. Right? Yeah. Because without this plummet source of validation, right? I'm in training camp for a fight. I got, now I got six months off and my mouth wide open. Oh, wow. Like, my mouth, I, yeah. I, there's plenty of photos with me with my mouth wide shut. Uh, brutal. And I'm, and I got this liquid oxycodone and, and yeah, did it hurt? Sure. I'm a professional fighter. 
Right. Like it hurt for a couple of weeks. Right. You're used to pain. Right? Yeah, I do. I deal with pain just fine. Mm-hmm. Right. But like painkillers, like what a great name for a substance. Right. Right. How broad is that Pain for my broken heart? Yeah. Right. I served oxycodone for my broken heart. Mm. And there was a time where that prescription ran out mm. and my heart was not healed. Huh. Right? It's just a band aid. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a healing tool. Right. And and I, I have a euphoric love for opiates mm-hmm. from that. Like my body does not forget that. Oh wow. Just like I'm I'm fully transparent. I take I take a small substance, a small dose mm-hmm. that is an anti-opiate on the not methadone. Yeah. Uh, I take Suboxone. I take a very small dose uh, on a daily basis uh, because that's how scared I am of being back in that place. Oh wow! Uh, and so I got off those opiates. I got my jaw healed. I got back in the ring. I won at the forum. I won my fights back. Mm-hmm. Right? I had hard fights. And and then I took a loss in a, in, in, in a close fight, got all cut up and and I just was tired of my story. If you Google me, you're gonna you're gonna read ten different versions of this I'm sorry, but you'll read twenty different articles that all say the same story. Right. Right? And and what I'm not dealing with is that story is me, yeah. dude. Like yeah. you, you pull a string on your back <laughs> and you'll talk about how the SWAT team kicked down your door, <laughs> ripped holes in your couches. <laughs> you had just gotten a puppy three weeks prior. Your mom's out of your life. Your father's in prison right. and you're in juvie. You get out of juvie. I pick my little dog up from my sister. I'm 16 years old go back to an apartment with an eviction notice on it yeah. and put my puppy on the floor and go, what are we going to do, bud? It's like, like a nightmare. Oh my God. Right. Uh, and, and I came across a friend this weekend that filled in those years for me mm-hmm. and I was bawling hysterically. Going, he said to me, this was very difficult to hear. So I got, I got three friends, right? At the time, I'm sure I had more than that, but he's telling me that this friend from New York that's living in New York now that I was with over the weekend, he said, you you were living at this misfit house paying, you know, the mall that was never around 400 bucks a a month. And I was was only 17 too, and my my parents would fight, but I would go home to my house and sleep Mm -hmm. there. But you were living at this misfit house paying, you know, 400 bucks a month for rent or whatever, and you had this little dog with you and you had two pairs of shoes and I liked one of your pairs of shoes. And so you gave them to me and our other friend, Justin pulled me to the side and said, please don't take anything from Zach. Those are, he, he's got nothing. He'll give you his, the shirt off his back, but he has no parents. He's nowhere to go. And he, he was saying at 17, he couldn't wrap his brain around that. And he's talking to me at 31, talking yeah. to me, the yeah. person that was going through this, right. going, you never complained about it. <laughs> you never said anything. Were you able to have a sense of just connection to that child? That I, 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 was, I went outside and bawled my eyes out. Yeah. Of like, Very good. 
Yeah, therapeutically. Very yeah. Good. Oh my God. Because well, I'm looking. Nobody for this. cried for that child. Yeah. Well, Most importantly, you haven't. I mean, I, I was in therapy three weeks ago, and I, I think that I'm, pretty sharp, right? So I always wonder, and I've had all sorts of counseling and therapy in my life. So the, the therapy I d- decided to go to is social work is is pay scale therapy. So they're on salary. They right. have, there are no incentives to keep me. It is like as psychological to the book, right? right. It's not $400 an hour EMDR, right. which is great. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> like I'm not hating on any therapist that charge, but, but in my opinion and with my trust issues, you're on salary. Yeah. You have no incentive to keep me. Absolutely. So you, you give me the brass tax. Right. I want psych 101. Right. Right. At least that's how I think of it. Sure. And I'm ignorant. Um, but I, but like I've, I've, I've had quite a lot of therapy from all different ranges. Mm-hmm. And this was really interesting to me because you're on salary. Either I come or I don't. Right. That's right. Right. It's at the Jewish family services. Yeah. Uh, like cool. Uh, and, and I always wonder am I, am I digging or, or am I not? Yeah. Right. And, and he says, I like to trust the process, right? Like, cause I want to be crying my eyes out. And, and I, I got married this year in a hurricane of events in the most beautiful way that I'm now I'm just, now I'm like, okay, is there a God? That's where I'm at in my life. Like I now I believe in God. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! What now? What mm-hmm. now? What like whoa? It's uh, a pretty pivotal moment. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and and with that, I I pull up to my next therapy session because I'm asking you know if he's going to trust the process, and I'm listening to the song by Leon Bridges, and I picture my wife, and. And the people that love me in my life that I built, the family I made, mm-hmm. in a room and I pour out crying. Mm-hmm. And I go into his office and I am wearing sunglasses. Just why am I thinking this? I'm, I'm picturing basically another a wedding, mm-hmm. right? Not a courthouse wedding, but like a celebration. Yeah. And I'm looking at my wife and all my friends are there. All my coaches bawling. And he goes, brass tacks, you are mourning the unconditional love you've never had. Oh, wow. And I lost it. That's right. And damn. Mm-hmm. What a beautiful emotion. Yeah. yeah. And like, this is where I'm at in my life and bring it. And you were at a place to accept it. Uh, absolutely. absolutely. So that's the, the big thing is like you were, were being presented with it. A number of times I hear through your story that you were finally at that place where, okay, I can accept this love. Totally. And fully internalize it mm-hmm. and what it's about and what it means. And I don't have to question it, that I can accept it. And when I accept it, I'm trusting it, which sounds like an ongoing issue for you. Like right. That. And, and that actually. Even with your therapist. Yeah. I you, can't hear to somebody that's getting paid <laughs> even, 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 by the hour. Even the truth is that I've never. I've never, I've, all these people in the room, I've wronged mm. and waited for them to turn their back on me. Mm. And they haven't. That's beautiful. Right? I've wronged them. Mm. Like, big time. Absolutely. That's part of the process. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm go. Because that's where you're supposed to go. You're testing. Right. Yeah. And, and so unconsciously. 
because mm-hmm. I have the biggest heart. Oh, absolutely. Oh my God, I would never hurt somebody or say something vindictive. Vindic- vindic- I don't think with that brain. Mm-hmm. Right? But unconsciously. You're in survival mode. You've been surviving your yeah, whole exactly. life. You're in survival mode. You've been surviving your whole life. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm on level, you know, I walk in on level 10. Yeah. I like, you know, it, boxing's an oxymoron. Mm-hmm. You'll, you'll hear a coach going, relax, mm-hmm. and roll with the punches. Yes. That's where it comes from. Well, it's a dance, I feel like. When well, I watch boxing, yeah, it's an and energy. I'm a boxing fan, right. when I see this dance taking roll, place. Roll with the shot, Yes. right? Boxers are excellent problem solvers. We solve problems in milliseconds. Yeah. I'll just rerun it. Uh, we solve problems in milliseconds, or we find problems, make problems, right? Throw a feint, see how the fighter reacts. Yeah. Right? Like I was telling you with the jab, yeah. set your boundaries. Yeah. Right, set your boundaries. Right, I. Yeah, and there's a there's so much that you you know. Joyce Carol Oates says um, life isn't an analogy for boxing, or boxing is an analogy for life, one or vice versa, Mm -hmm. right? Whichever way it goes, she's a great writer. She did a book on boxing, but it's like everything that you take on in life, you will find in that ring. Mm -hmm. Um, Although. You like whether you boxed or not before, it challenges you to a very primal place to control yourself and to trust yourself. Yeah, and and to trust your corner, Mm -hmm. right? Like I have a man or woman in my corner that 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 says we're gonna push on the gas and you can do this, or or no, no more, right? And I trust you. Well, I trust you with that decision. Right, I trust you with that decision, and I've been, I've I've had the privilege of having the best in the world. Let me, let me. Uh, well, how would I say this? Let me have that with them. Yeah. Right, I trust you with my life, mm-hmm. and you, you're, you're, you, you're the best who can do it. Mm-hmm. Like I built this relationship with you. Like I'm so grateful. And, and they're a phone call and flight away. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. Isn't it beautiful? Yeah. It is. I love it. It's a great story. So I was going to ask him about the depression thing, but I'm going to like cut that out because this is so beautiful. <laughs> so I want to just kind of answer it. I, he, he did answer it, but now I want to get into like, because Zach, he is a director at a nonprofit. It's called Ring of Hope. And I wanted to jump into that because Zach is, he's such a, if you, if you guys hear, he's such a, a beautiful person mm-hmm. and um, I've seen him interact with the kids at Ring of Hope and it's like it's magic it's, I, that's the word I can describe it's magic and so I wanted to talk to you about the nonprofit that you advocate with and for and sure. direct um, I want to talk about Ring of Hope. I want to talk about the advice that you give the, the young boys uh-huh. um, at Ring of Hope. I, I want people to know you know, where is Zach now? Where, because it seems, what I see is your love and your passion and, and what inspires you is inspiring others. And those boys look at him like a saint. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, you know, they, they with the other coaches, they like the other coaches, but it's something about you, Just Zach. the energy that comes Man, into the place. Like, it's, and I, and I sit here, I just and I just look, and he'll, you know, I don't know if you see me in the corner, I just be like, wow. Thank you. Um, 
in this God realization hmm. conversation, right? This kicking this ball up in the air of do I exist for a reason, yeah. right? Is, 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 is this extreme coincidences or are you special, mm-hmm. right? And, and I can tell you by the chain of events uh, that have happened in my life, I'm special. And it's what a weird thing to say. What a scary thing to say, right? To actually take ownership, mm-hmm. right? Like I, you know, we didn't talk about a. I was lucky enough to where where you the Tijuana article. Yes. I did a television series that in two thousand eighteen. I got an Emmy nomination, mm-hmm. and and I had to get sober again, and that was my last straw, and I got sober, in a docu series called Why We Fight fighting a professional fight in Tijuana while detoxing. Wow. And, and I stayed sober from there, and you, you see my journey. Yeah. And, and I fight in the last episode. I travel the entire world, and I fight again in my hometown. Oh, wow. But I'm a changed person, yeah. right? I use the world to heal me. And I mean, I got to go to the, the Emmys as an Emmy-nominated journalist and producer, like, <laughs> like, and like that's someone's life goal. <laughs> Like, Please laugh. This is no, a serious no. matter. Like it's someone's life goal, you know. Yeah. It's, a, it's like this is like this. Because when you did that, that's not what you intended. Your goal no, was not I, to become an Emmy nominee or right. anything. Like <gasps> I knew nothing about TV. Like Vice did some documentary on me because I got wrestling with my dad. Great. Like it's press. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, on the other hand, that that little fifteen documentary was the segue to this, where I am going and exploring other people's why mm-hmm. in Cambodia, mm-hmm. in Mongolia, Amsterdam, right? All these different cultures of fighting. Why are you doing this, right? It's such little pay. We're in the inner cities. Yeah. Right, right. Why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Like, man, or doing this professional and amateur. It blows my mind. And I, and I, it was, I had this idea and I seeded that idea and I, I, I was able to think with a brain that had no bumpers and it, and it, it traveled, I could pay to travel the world mm-hmm. doing something I would have done for free. So the question I have to ask Sorry, you, sorry I squirreled, but... So the question, bringing you back is, Zach, I'm yeah. you. <laughs> so do you tell the kids at the nonprofit, at the Ring of Hope, that you've done these type of, you know, as a, as a writer? Because, you know, when they're there, it's like, I'm a, I want to be a boxer like Zach. But then also, you, you want the kids to know if you, you know, if you go to school, get your education. Better than Zach. You want to be, oh, I like that, better than Zach. If you want to be better than Zach, you can be a writer too. You can uh, do an HBO series. You can do these things as well. Right, and so I think these these young men and women, you know, technology is such a, such a, such a, whoa. Fascinating. Right, I was just in New York City, and I'm guilty of bumping into people being the idiot. You know, A, I didn't know my way around the way I used to, but... Fine, I get a little bit of a pass, but everybody just boom on the phone, right? So mm-hmm. in South Dallas, I am not a pro boxer until Google, right. until coach like Steve Montgomery. Yeah. And, and Naida. I'll Na- take it. Naida. Naida. No, it, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's, everybody, audience, this has been an ongoing struggle for me. <laughs> Nayeta. For, for what, five, six months? Yes. Six months? Nayeta. Now it's Nayeta. just cute. I'm going to call you Nayota. <laughs> and I'm going to say, yo, like, ooh. Uh, <laughs> where the, these kids see this 
that this type of stardom, mm -hmm. so to speak, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I think they see he got out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They see a version of that, mm -hmm. and I'm right in front of them, and mm -hmm. I'm and I'm real, and I'm mm -hmm. very real, yes. and they can look me in the face and. Although the, the skin color is different, boxing is colorblind. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right? What do you think it takes to get kids to believe in themselves? What do you feel like? How do we get kids there? Because I find like so much of the challenges um, with kids that are growing up in just similar situations that you described is that it's hard to get them to see that there is, there is something for you beyond this. That right. we get so submerged in whatever the traumas are. How do you get them to believe in, in themselves and to have that vision to get them to see? I mean, I, I truly believe that they are watching me learn how to believe in myself at 31 years old right. and absorbing that energy. Right. right? Like, I walked into class in South Dallas and said, hey guys, you want to know what I learned today? They're from 12 to 18 years old. Most, most of them are 15 to 18. Right. right? But right now I got 22 boys mm -hmm. in the program. They said, guys, here's what I learned today. I wrote it on the whiteboard. I wrote responsible. I had wrote relationship. Put a line under that and it made it to a little T. And on one, put, one side I put uh, upkeep underneath that parentheses. Huh. And then the other side I put compromise. Yeah. And then under that I put eat crap. And then I crossed <laughs> that out. We all laughed and wrote humility. Absolutely. Right? And I said it. In a relation, I, I have I have a relationship to my orchid at home, mm -hmm. and on Monday I have to compromise my time at some point to get home, to water it, yeah. and put it back in its place, mm -hmm. right? So there's my compromise. Oh, I gotta water my orchid yeah. and my maintenance, right? Mm -hmm. Something as simple as a plant. Mm -hmm. I have a relationship to it. Absolutely. I have a relationship to my wife. Yeah. Those two, those two things, and if mm -hmm. I can maintenance right your your check engine light comes on can we can we take care of the car yeah before the check engine light comes on because mm -hmm. there's already a problem by the time that happens right it's a making those investments right and something that's very common that we say in boxing is be first mm -hmm. yeah be first well, and yeah. and i said don't just wait on somebody because you will get hit in the head right right uh oh that's so good that's so relatable. It's so relatable. And I said, I said that day to a friend of mine, I always feel like I'm an apology away from being the man I want to be. Huh. That's deep. And he's an, an, always an apology away from mm. the man I want to be. Yeah. yeah. And it really, and he was like, I hope you hear what you just said. Because oh. it's really powerful. And in yeah. this, be first. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Make the phone call. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's so many wins right. in that. Whoa. Like, yeah. like <laughs> so here's what I even like there's so many wins in that being first. Be the first one to set the example. Be the first yeah. one to ask the question. Be the first one to try. Be the first one to Be apologize. First to apologize. Yeah. yeah. And and I said on a scale of one to ten, with this maintenance, upkeep, yeah. compromise, humility, on a scale of one to ten, one being you're doing nothing, mm -hmm. ten being I'm knocking out of the park. Mm -hmm. Where are you? And what is your number? Mm, Let's write it down. Yes. And it was very interesting, looked at and written down in that context. And ha had somebody told me at 15 years old, uh, all relationships will, at bare minimum, require maintenance and upkeep, same column, compromise and humility. Mm. 
I, I don't know that it would have changed the course of my life and be first. Yeah. I don't know that it would have changed the course of my life, but what great information. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that you can sub this number out. What is my relationship to my mom? What is my relationship to my sister? What, yeah. what do I want it to be? Mm -hmm. Right? A, you've got to start with that question. It's so relatable and understandable. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you don't have to be like a rocket scientist to understand what you're saying. So I think that's really huge and inspiring. Thing. Right. And I, and I'm, what I, I can do right now. Right. 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 We're in this classroom. We're going out to the gym. Where are you? And where do you want to be? Yeah. Because we can erase this number next week and change it. Who's going to be the first one there? Right. Having a goal is so important. That goal for you to say, hey, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. Let me do it. And there's almost an urgency in that be first, too. Totally. I mean, in, in boxing, it's yeah. it's mm -hmm. it's be first to defend yourself. Absolutely. Right? Be first. And, and that can be by throwing a punch. Yeah. Right? And putting someone on the defensive. Absolutely. Uh, so now you're learning things. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, yeah. And it's like, I'm just, I am teaching as I'm learning. May Like, please. Don't let this stop. Yes. And I know, I know, I, I was telling them life happens and it's hard. And you, you've got two choices. You can, you can bury yourself in it or you can pivot and roll with the punches. Great. I have to do that. No problem. <laughs> I love you, Zach. You understand. This is so good. <laughs> it is That's good. It's good. beyond good. Yeah. Um, I, you know, this. I'm learning so much about you. I've I've seen. I I met Zach six months ago. About six months ago. Uh huh. Because when I met Zach, I was getting done with my surgery. And she looked at me totally sideways. I did. Way. I'm like, who is this dude in Why South Dallas? But I, you know what? <laughs> that is not true, guys. I know that look. She was just like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh -huh. I. Uh, Living in the suburbs, you know. Suburbia. Yeah. No, that is not true. <laughs> but as if I, you're not from here. You don't we feast it all the time. All the time. Right. But no. Yeah. So why don't we talk to you about this? You know what? No, you're not going <laughs> to yeah. turn this on me first and yeah, foremost. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to close out with you. Tell us about this nonprofit and how um we people get involved and how people can donate and how people can help help us all. Cool. Come on. Here's the brass tacks. Uh, I need good, strong leaders, and you, you as over 18, mm -hmm. uh, you might know you're a leader or might not, and come to find out that you have incredible leadership skills. Um, we have a great team. Uh, we have a great team and are very blessed to have great students in South Dallas. Mm -hmm. You can go to ringahope.com. Okay. You can go to at Ring of Hope Boxing on Instagram. Okay. Uh, you can I'm at Kid Yamaka uh, to find me. But just you, you'll you'll find our our website, our volunteer base. Reach out or sign up to be a student. We're actually at capacity right now, okay. so you'll go on the waiting list. Okay. Uh, and we will call you at our soonest opening. But okay. you can email uh, Zachary Z A C H A R Y at ringofhope.com. That is my direct, uh, and spam me from there. Okay. I, I Just it. kidding, don't spam me. Uh, I'm teasing. Uh, really? Sorry. <laughs> don't. Really? Drops, Mike. Okay. <laughs>
Well, Zach, I want to say thank you so much for interviewing with The Health Show. And please stay tuned. Such a neat experience to hear some very different perspectives and experiences with sports and being athletes. Um, I think so, too. Um, I actually really learned a lot from Zach. And I learned a lot from Dr. Johnson. Mm -hmm. And the interviews kind of explain themselves. Because mm -hmm. once I once I interviewed, so I interviewed um, Dr. Johnson yesterday. And so it allowed me to kind of think about the interview with Zach. Because my mind is always wondering, like, you know, to kind of put two and two together, one and one together, what makes a person become the way they become. But... I can truly understand why Zach wanted to be a part of something. Being a professional athlete, mm -hmm. you are a part of something. No, absolutely. You do have a family. Um, there's no judgment. Yes, it's hard work, and um, it's confidence, and it's being diligent, and it's. I I think that it allows a person to truly figure out their true identity. Yeah, especially in Zach's case, like it gave some real focus and direction to his life that I think he really needed. I think so too, and I, I like the way you remember the was it the willow trees you mm -hmm. spoke about, and how you kind of you remember what you said when you kind of put those two together with the willow tree and how he felt living in Texas. That was one of the things that we really connected with about um, when he came to Texas was his enjoyment of watching that willow tree and um it just how i don't know it was like a spiritual connection that he described and so as i listened to him and, and he would watch the willow tree um just grow and then sort of die off or go through this down period it just so much to me reflected what was going on in the cycle of his own life and absolutely his father yeah and you know with him meeting his um what, what, what was it he was in a not a halfway house but not when he went to prison but when he went to the army was it um rotc or something like that something i can't yeah yeah and then he finally <laughs> how he said that the general knew that he was telling the story and that he couldn't box that's right but he saw he, he saw skill he he saw something Right. And he pulled that out of him. Yeah. So going back to... I think a good coach will always do that, right? Absolutely. And so he pushed Zach mm -hmm. and, 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 and opened up a spark that Zach didn't even know he had. So and gave him that male role model I think he really needed. He did. He did. Because, you know, his father in and out of prison, you know, um, Zach pretty much had to kind of support himself and support the family. That's a lot mm -hmm. to deal with. And so going back to... Dr. Johnson, we spoke about that as well, how a lot of athletes have to support their families and how um, the, the parents raise them to the best of their ability and how a lot of trust issues happen when they don't trust because now you're a professional athlete or, you become, or, you, or you're about to become a professional athlete in the NFL, NBA, or baseball and how you have this this, this mechanism as defense Absolutely. of who you truly can trust. And that has a lot to do with the impact aspect of things because the pressure that you have of being great, relationships, 
Mm-hmm. You have to balance those two. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Um, depression. When you don't get to play because you hurt yourself, you, you right. know, you tear ACL. Yeah. Kind of yeah. like, what do you do? And you know, I, I want to go back a little bit when you were commenting about the parents' side, the parents doing the, the best they, they can. And I think, like, as all parents, of course, we always do the best we can. But one thing as a parent of athletes myself, mm-hmm. um, and, and you look at those as we're talking about the parents of those athletes that go on to be really successful and to the professional level. Of course, you know, moving along before you get to that point, you seeing your child do something that they're passionate about and that they love is really hard to balance that. Because not only is it a great thrill for the individual themselves and, you know, building and going with that momentum and enjoying that sport or that that athleticism so much but as a parent to see it and watch your child be so great at something especially when they may not be great in other areas it can be really hard to balance that so it can start very early on i think um as far as you know that end of it is concerned and and where their value lies and where the focus is and and that does make sense because let's go let's go back into exactly the whole drug Mm -hmm. issue remember he really spoke about how his jaw was infected yeah and he had to get his jaw um, shut but he wanted this so bad yeah. that he endured this pain and, and it, you know he got to a, a point where he became professional but he just wasn't ready and all you know him being noticed him being celebrated for a chance and for a change he he didn't know how to accept that so drugs Force drugs women, you know, um, and everything else kind of happened. And so I can see going back, we're going to take this back to um, you being a parent and um, your children playing sports. It starts at home. Mm-hmm. You notice them now, you celebrate them now. They don't have to go in a world of, of being an athlete and saying, you know what, I'm being old. I'm, someone's finally paying attention to me, look at me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that all intertwines with, I'm going to keep saying it, mental health. Absolutely. Mental health. Well, and I think like, you know, in Zach's case, as you're talking about, he turned to women, he turned to some drugs and things yeah. like that. It's like, he turned to comforts. When mm-hmm. sports was no longer uh, able to be a comfort for him, or Absolutely. even if it was just temporary, he found comforts in other areas. And in mental health, when we look at how do we create that balance, that's where the coping comes in. How do we find comforts for things? How do we cope other than with just the sport? And I think that's something that very commonly can happen. So I have a question with you being a counselor. Mm-hmm. Um, what would you suggest for a coping mechanism for those that, that play sports? Yeah, because so oftentimes, um, one of the things that will talk about as far as coping strategies is for the physical activity. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit different with an athlete because they're getting all the physical activity, Absolutely. but maybe they don't have enough of some other mechanisms to use. And I'll say like with coping mechanisms, we have some, you know, that are effective, but they're always unique as the individual. So whatever combination that is, prayer, spirituality, having a routine, like these things are really important. When I say spirituality, I really mean in the broad sense, because I'm not saying like everybody needs to be one piece of the religion or the other, but 
really um, it's not even necessarily about that, but just finding a place within yourself to have that mental strength and resiliency. And um, going to therapy, of course, is one too. So it's really looking at working with the whole person. I think so too. Um, I, I really like the advice that you gave. Great, great advice. Um, I think that in my personal opinion, parents, when they feel that they can't give their child the, the most, the best, that they should venture out and find someone that can. Mm -hmm. Because in my, you know, you can, you can do what you can do as a parent. Right. There's so many different avenues now and so many different, um, not activities, but different nonprofits or even for-profits or so many different resources. That's the word I'm looking for, resources that you can be able to help your child. Yeah. And so, you know, that child becomes a grown-up. We want to make sure that that little child athlete becomes into a healthy adult. And if they know it's okay to ask for help or an advocate, you know, we can yeah. think of therapists as, as coaches, we could think of them as, you know, uh, an emotional or wellness coach. We could think of them as an advocate. Um, but instead of it, if the idea of going to therapy just sounds too clinical or too dark or too overwhelming, mm -hmm. just think about it as going in as, um, hey, I have this advocate or I have, I'm going to a wellness class or something along those lines. Because really, it doesn't always have to be just so dark and heavy. It's just being able to teach them, hey, we need help in a lot of different areas. We need support in a lot of different areas of our lives. I think it's changing. Um, parents are bringing their kids into therapy. If they get the impression that, hey, therapy is a good thing, it's not always a bad thing. And as they grow into adults, they realize that, hey, this is a resource that I have available to go to. Because I remember Dr. Johnson, um, before he became, you know, um, a counselor, he, the reason he became a counselor was because um, one of his clients that he was consulting was like, he was telling them, hey, you need to go to counseling. And he was like, hey, that's not my forte. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but it, he was like, you, you need to go. He said, well, I trust you. I built this report with you. Mm -hmm. And so, that being said, you know, children and adults, people in general, you have to build that rapport mm -hmm. with people. Mm -hmm. And that's what counseling is about. That's absolutely about that. You have to build rapport. And, you know, that rapport is most important because it is a huge trust thing, especially when you look at something as, as he was mentioning about the relationships and trust and how that can become very skewed and abused, really. Absolutely. And so... Um, if you don't have the right vibe with a therapist, please don't give up. Go to the next one because it is very important. It is out there. And I always tell um, people that come in to see me, hey, I'm so glad the fact that you've gone to several different people and didn't give up. Like, I'm really glad that you're here now and that didn't give up on it because it does happen to a lot of people. So the question I'm very interested about, like what, so what did you did you learn what you wanted to learn out of the interviews? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I thought it was really informative to see how, you know, Zach's journey and what led him to where he was. I think that's the really um, beautiful thing about successful athletes is they all have a really unique story that is oftentimes very inspirational. And so um, I love hearing that and I love that we had the opportunity to sort of collaborate and, and be a part and listen to what Zach's journey was. And what about Dr. Johnson? 
yeah, Dr. Johnson really gave some good perspective on things that had to do with concussions, the isolation piece that I hadn't really thought of. But one of the things that really stood out to me is how the incessant questioning, well, how are you today? How are you today? Mm -hmm. And how there's just so much weight affiliated and associated with that. Is it coming from a place of authenticity? I'm really worried about you. How are you doing today versus I need you to get come ready. on. Come on. Are, yeah, I, need are, you. I mean, are you ready today? Can you get back on today? What did your doctor absolutely, say? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, okay, just, you know, back off. I'll let you know when you need to know. But I never thought really about, you know, how huge that can be and mm -hmm. how that experience probably is happening. Right. Um, I thought about that too. I, I, so I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Like I, I learned a lot from Zach, but I talked to, I didn't know this much about it. I've dealt with Zach for six months. Mm -hmm. So I didn't even know. I learned more yeah. <laughs> about Zach in the interview than I actually knew about that. Yeah. Um, I know he was a very special individual, mm -hmm. but I didn't know he was this special. Mm -hmm. And so what stood out to you the most? I'm I'm curious. Like what what did you think was like as far as his uniqueness and what really made him special in your how eyes? He didn't give up. Yeah. His what tenacity? How, grit. Yeah, grit. he got a little, he got a lot of grit. <laughs> um, how he endured so much pain. Mm -hmm. he, he's blossoming like a flower. And now he's so kind. And he, he didn't allow those things that happened in his life to tell his story. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was very interesting about you know, I, I know a lot of people have different types of stories. Yeah. But him being so vocal about it and then him pretty much putting himself out there and saying, hey, I was on OBS, I was on drugs, this is who I am. Yeah. Like, he's, really he's so authentic. I, 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 everything about that, who I thought he was, mm -hmm. I was wrong. <laughs> yeah. He's a pretty deep cat. He is. Very <laughs> smart. Um, Dr. Johnson. Yeah, what about him? What did you think about you Dr. Know, Johnson? Um, when we talk, when we spoke about the um, concussions, that really stuck out to me too. Because I'm thinking, because they said they did studies, but now they're thinking that being in a dark room is not good. You know, it, it causes isolation, which I can see that you're by yourself, no one is oh, there, yeah. lights are off. You're very depressing. And so I, I thought that was, sunlight. yeah, so I thought that was very interesting. Kind of almost facilitated itself. I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. I was, I was like, wow. Mm -hmm. So, the topics for the future in research with sports, what would you like to know about? I think the good, the bad, and the ugly of how sports are affecting our kids, especially, you know, we're in Texas. It is a heavily driven um, sport or athlete area. We're very competitive. Where is it? What, what is it leading to in our youth? What does it look like, you know, from those early stages? Um, probably because I have more of a vested interest just for anything today. Um, but gosh, I don't know. The possibilities are endless. What do you think? Um, what I would like to know more about: What did they do with the the students or the athletes, the college athletes that don't make it? Do they have programs to help oh, them? Yeah. Do they do they actually have skill training um, programs? That after you don't make it, right? Because I know they push education, 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 mm -hmm. but do they really, really 
in the next. Yeah, I'm really curious about that. So kind of how do they define themselves outside of that college level? Because I met a guy before we close out. I met a guy when we first started library. The library downtown is my best friend. And if you guys want some free Wi-Fi, go there. (laughs) (laughs) And he was sitting, he was studying for like, what is it called when you were getting like to be a doctor? Mm -hmm. Um, What is that test called? ASAP? LSAP? Something like that. Um, he was studying for the test, and so a young young man that I frequently speak with, he was at the library, and he said, I have somebody I want you to meet. He introduces oh, nice. me to me, and he just played professional, and then he used to play um, college basketball. Well, he didn't make it. So, I, I the question I asked him, I said, how do you feel when you didn't make it? Because I was depressed. He said, I was so accustomed to getting all the attention. Yes. I was so accustomed, you know, I can get what I want. I was, it was very validating. Yeah, he, yes. He said, I, I heard no more cheers. Mm. No no more hoorays. No more hoorays. He said, I'm strong. He's right. I fought my way when I was studying to, to go to medical school. So I thought that was very powerful because mm-hmm. everybody wants to be strong. Mm-hmm. You That's know, true. Some people would indulge in drugs, self medicate. Yeah. You know, so the question that what I want to do more research on. What do the athletes do when they don't have that? What do the athletes do when they go bankrupt? How do they really handle themselves? What supports are out there for them? Because now that you've been so wealthy, now you have nothing. And -hmm. people know you as your face, Mm -hmm. not as a human being. Right. Where do they go from there? So, um, I really, really enjoy. You. I, I think it's the some- company I keep. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, <you>, Carrie. <laughs> well, guys, I want to thank you so much for listening to um, the Help Show, and please stay tuned. Thank you, Nayana. If you or someone you know is in crisis, whether they are considering suicide or not, please call the toll-free lifeline at eight hundred two seven three TALK to speak with a trained crisis counselor 24-7. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline connects you with the crisis center in the Lifeline network closest to your location. Your call will be answered by a trained crisis worker who will listen empathetically and without judgment. The crisis worker will work to ensure that you feel safe and will help identify options and information about mental health services in your area. Your call is confidential and free. Crisis text line, text NAMI to 741-741. Connect with trained crisis counselor to receive free 24-7 crisis support via text message. This podcast is produced by Nayeta Reynolds and Davian Abney Music. To get your very own custom beats, email him at Abney music at gmail.com that's d-a-v-i-o-n-a-b-n-e-y-m-u-s-i-c at gmail.com the help show is a non-profit organization to learn more or donate please visit thehelpshow.org follow us on instagram twitter and facebook at the help show and remember 
to subscribe to the podcast. Please leave comments. We want to know what you think. Thank you for listening, and please stay tuned.